Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together today. We have a lot to cover. By the way, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. That's the place to go to see what we've been up to. You'll see almost every one of the stories, uh, segments, excuse me, segments we do uh, over there as a standalone link, and you can get them. And also sign up for the daily email, which goes out Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. East Coast time into your inbox. It's what you need to know, and you'll get everything you need to know right there. It's worth signing up. I promise I don't sell your email address. I don't do anything with it. I just make sure to give you a few key talking points, a few key links to start your day, what you need to know. All right. Well, what you need to know today is just a few moments. We'll catch up with our old friend Todd Benzman about what is happening at the border. Again, it will be depressing, but he's the best reporter on what's happening down there. And then we'll talk with Patrick Caralci. He is the co-founder with his wife of Red Pilled America, an extraordinarily good podcast. And he tweeted about a podcast he did. And I went, oh, man, I got to go find that. And I did. And I found it. And it's a podcast on the impact of China, uh, what China is doing in Hollywood and the impact of China's money in Hollywood. And uh, so very cool dude, uh, Patrick Caralci, he and his wife are the ones who started Red Pilled, uh, Red Pilled America, the uh, podcast. So we'll get to that in a few moments. All right. Uh, before we do. I want to talk about China indirectly or somewhat directly for what you need to know today. As you watch the coverage from across the world for about five days now, the President Biden went to Rome, the G20 meeting. That's the industrialized nations of the world. There's 20 nations that get together. One of the topics was uh, the uh, climate crisis, so-called. And then they went off to um, Glasgow, Scotland, and it's a big summit, except China's not there. And actually, Russia's not even there. So the largest polluter in the world, China, didn't even show up. In fact, President Xi, I just read, is going to send a statement, a written statement they could put on the website. Can you imagine? So here's what we have. We have about six to eight months ago, a memo, I think it was. Was it a memo or was it Project Veritas had somebody on camera? I think it was somebody on camera from CNN, a producer that said, we're going to ramp up the crisis of climate change into just the astronomical levels because we want to get something done. And so here we are. The climate change summit in Glasgow is not really a climate change summit because they're not talking about nuclear. They're not talking about anything that would actually solve any of the problems they foresee. If they didn't invite anybody to do that, it's just about panic. It's another part of the narrative machine when you get all these people in one place, leaders complaining and scaring and terrifying and the narrative machine, big media, big tech and big government all work together. And Joe Biden is showing up. He's saying we adjusted our policies on methane. We re-signed the Paris Accords. We're willing to do this and this and this. And you know what the rest of the world is doing? They're happy to take American money. 
because that's what we're doing. They're happy to take American uh, an advantage over America because if we make our companies, companies pay more for gas and oil because we're doing all kinds of things, I can guarantee you other countries that aren't doing it, they're either excused from having to do it or they just don't even bother, are going to have a competitive advantage. But it gets even worse. The Chinese didn't even come. Nobody thinks the Chinese tell the truth even when they say they're going to do something and they don't actually say they're going to do much because China was able to convince the world powers. In fact, whether you go to the World Health Organization on health care, go to the World Trade Organization on trade or go to this climate change stuff, the Chinese are able to buy their way into a position, into the posture that they're a kind of developing nation and they shouldn't be held to the same account as the Western developed world. Come on, man. Come on, man. China is building coal-fired plants every day. I think they're finishing one a week. They have more uh, output of carbon than any, any other nation. It's not even close. And they're not even coming. They're laughing all the way to the bank. We are literally tying one arm behind our back to try to compete with the world because China's not bothering. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that we shouldn't be thinking, how do we do all of the above to improve our environment? Why not? I'm not saying that we shouldn't. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying we should. And I'm saying that actually the future of our nation depends on us deciding that we're going to solve whatever you think the climate problem is, but we're going to do it by nuclear, We're not going to do it by windmill. We're not going to do it by solar power. We're not going to do it by that stuff. That that is all a boondoggle of money passed along. Again, let me be clear. At some point, if Elon Musk and some of the others that are working on it end up with batteries that are sufficiently effective that we can capture energy in, you know, solar fields and, and transmit it or hold it in such a way that it would work, then maybe. But right now, it's not efficient. And like the Tesla cars, as much fun as they are, everybody gets it. They're going to put in hundreds of thousands of Tesla uh, uh, electric car charging stations. Somebody pays to make the electricity. And they, by and large, they don't do it by windmills and, and, and solar. They're doing it by oil and they're doing it by coal and they're doing it by gas. So Joe Biden is over there. He is totally bought into the climate hysteria. And he is spending his time... But he's not just virtue signaling. He's doing some of that. But he's actually worse than much worse than that. He's he's putting America at a competitive disadvantage in a significant aspect of our lives, a a significant aspect of our nation's uh, ability to succeed. That's what he's doing. And again, China's not there. Russia's not there. You know, India said they've got some plan to get to to somehow get to zero emissions or something by 2070. What's going to happen in the next 45 or 50 years? I guess 50 years, 49 years. A lot. A lot is going to change. It doesn't, again, it doesn't mean we shouldn't do something. It just means here we are. Everybody's congratulating themselves in Glasgow. And the biggest polluter, China, is not even there. And they're not going to bother. <laughs> they're not going to bother coming. They're certainly not going to bother changing their behavior. At the very most, they'll change something uh, in places that we can see and then they'll go about doing what they're doing everywhere else that we can't see. That's their tradition. That's exactly what their tradition is. And it just makes you shake your head and, and it, makes you, it makes you smile ruefully because you realize what we're in for. We are in for 
if if the policies of this administration, the Biden administration, if the policies of the Democrat Party right now are allowed to continue, where you end up is at a disadvantage visa against the communist regime in China, Russia. And here's another wrinkle. Have you noticed gas prices are way up? One of the reasons gas prices are way up is because we are not a net exporter anymore. We have to rely on world uh, 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 world markets. And so you end up with, I think it was Jennifer Granholm, or, or maybe it was, uh, who's energy secretary? I think it's Granholm. Is it Granholm? Je- on the talk shows over the weekend, she's blaming OPEC. Because why? Because now we're relying on OPEC again. Under Donald Trump, we drilled everywhere. We fracked everywhere. We opened up places and we made it so we weren't relying on OPEC. Didn't mean that OPEC wasn't on the market, but they couldn't jerk our chain. Now we're in a position where OPEC is actually able to influence what we're doing in a specific way in and in on a specific in a significant way. It's not quite as bad as the 70s yet, but it's headed in that direction. So what you need to know is the best thing that can happen to America is to stop in its tracks the policies of this Democrats. And again, even when you change the House and Senate, perhaps next year, I'm not sure it'll change much because a lot of this has been ceded over to the executive branch and the executive branch is going to continue to, you know, to do what they're doing. And it is a disaster for America. And I was with somebody uh, or this week in Washington, D.C. He's a member of the European Parliament. And he said he just laughed. He said, China Place by whatever rules they want. They don't care what you say. They don't care if the European Union, WTO, World Health Organization, anybody. They're doing what they want to do for their interests and make it pretty clear. And here we are. Joe Biden is chasing his shadow, trying to prove to the Europeans and the world that he's going to give in and give up so that he can not virtue signal. It's not signaling. It's not virtue signaling. It's it's transforming our economy. What you need to know is it's not good. Not good. All right. We got to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with Todd Benzman, his book, Americans, excuse me, America's Covert Border War about the border. Todd Benzman from the Center of Immigration Studies. Super guy, super guy. You want to hear from him. And uh, we've got a lot more. We'll take a break. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily email there and also pass along any of these great links, the great links there to our segments. Be right back. Ed Martin, ProAmerica Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Time to check in with our old friend Todd Benzman. Todd Benzman, of course, is the Senior, Na- senior National Security uh, Fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. His book, which is in my right hand right now, America's Covert Border War, The Untold Story of the Nation's Battle to Prevent Jihadist Infiltration. Welcome back, Todd. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. Before we get to a, a recent uh, post that I want to ask you about uh, down on the border, I wanted to ask you about your book because the book is out now a couple of, I don't know, a year, a little bit more than a year. And um, I was looking at it the other day, reminding myself about it. And the late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I work, she used to write a book like yours and do just what you did. At the end, there's a chapter on remedies and the idea of, you know, what can we do? I just told you all the stuff that's going wrong, all the problems at the border. And there's a million of them. We're just talking. This book is really focused on um, the national security aspect of it. It's not even the social or the assimilation or anything like that. But when you look at the remedies in this book, again, Todd Benzman's book, America's Covert Border War, um, you know, what's the quickest, 
fix right now that could help at the border? Is there something, and is there anything, I think I did this to you last time we talked, is there anything that we can do because the president is in charge of the border. So can anybody change it? Would a Republican Congress change it? Would anything change it? What could be done and what, you know, can actually happen? Unfortunately, all power or most power over illegal immigration defaults these days to the executive branch. It just does because the country is locked in this partisan gridlock and can't seem to get out of it, especially on this issue. So there are diplomatic uh, things that could be done that would be uh, that we've seen the Biden administration uh, willing to to do when they're in a pinch, when they feel in a bind, when they feel like there's a political, um, you know, price to pay uh, for not doing anything. And when it comes to America's covert border war, what we're really talking about is ramping down, tamping down, lessening the numbers of illegal immigrants who are coming from around the rest of the world here. So we're at about a quarter of everybody who's reaching the southern border now not being from Central America or Mexico. They're from all over the, the entire globe. And that all falls down to the fault of Colombia, Panama, and Costa Rica. Those three countries are the bottleneck countries. They're allied countries. We have influence over those countries. I write about this as a key remedy to reducing the homeland security threat of terrorist infiltration over the border. Uh, in, in the context of those three countries, those three countries are actively, as a matter of policy, facilitating the movement of all of those tens of thousands of migrants from around the world through their territories to ours. They do it on purpose. It's in their national interest to do it. They want to move those people through. They don't want those people lingering in their countries. They would prefer if they those people would linger in our country. Uh, so since we have uh, diplomatic muscle uh, to uh, flex with all three of those countries. I recommend that we force all three of them to stop doing what they're doing, to block their borders uh, to those immigrants coming through. And when they do finally block those borders, and we can pay for it, uh, help them block their, their own borders, pick up the tab for the consequences of blocking those borders, But we've seen, especially during COVID, that when those three countries block their borders, that particular traffic dries up overnight. It just simply stops. Um, And we've had 100,000 people, migrants, pass through those three countries in just the last nine months. Um, You know, Todd, we might have stumbled on something, actually, that it might actually I'm being totally serious. It might work because I recall and I'll have to go back and research this tip O'Neill got heavily involved in um, maybe Latin America. It could have been Latin America. I don't think it was like Ireland, although he was obviously cared about Ireland, but he was Speaker of the House. I think it was Latin America. And and uh, and then and Jim Wright, um, they, they rolled out O'Neill, and Jim Wright was key to that. But one of the things that they, they did was because the Speaker of the House can control the budget, he actually got involved, and he forced 
some of the diplomats from those countries to come to the Capitol to meet with Tip O'Neill. And he was saying, I don't agree with Reagan. Here's what I want done. And it could be that that because, uh, again, Kamala Harris was assigned dramatically. She said, I'm going to travel to those countries down there, you know, and I'll be the one who talks to those countries about how and what she meant was how we can give them billions of dollars to fix their roads and give out that money to their people. But what we really need is them to just stop letting people through. But but uh, Todd, explain to me what's in it for them. It, when when these people come through their country, yes, they don't want them to stay, but why wouldn't they just hold them at the bottom border? Are they making money off of it? Is there somebody? Is there a reason that they they like the pass through action? Yeah, because uh, when they're passing through, they're not staying, <laughs> and uh, that that is in their that's in Panama's national interest because it's an expense and it's a social stress. They uh, eat up jobs. These uh, immigrants coming coming through eat up jobs, and they're a stress on the social uh, network. And when the government of Panama finds migrants coming out of the Darien Gap, they actually collect them. They use the Panamanian police. They're not military. They look like military, but officially they're quote-unquote police uh, since our 1989 invasion. They round them up by the thousands, and they uh, care for them, feed them, shelter them, provide medical attention for about two weeks, and then they put them on buses. They arrange for the buses to come up to the camp. They arrange for all of the migrants to load up on the buses, and then they escort them all the way to the Costa Rican border and dump them there. So they are, as a matter of official government policy, Panama, which is a close U.S. ally because of the canal, we have all sorts of influence with the Panamanians, uh, is doing us no favor. I I put in the book with friends like this who needs enemies, right? Uh, The Costa Ricans do the exact same thing. They pick them up at the border, put them on buses and drive them and dump them at Nicaragua's border. And then the smugglers pick up from there Uh, because nobody wants them in their countries and they don't want to be in their countries. So they just grease the skids and move them along. But as I put in the book, right in the book, uh, you know, we need to end catch rest and release is what I call this uh, controlled flow. And we can start repatriation flights out of Panama or Colombia or Costa Rica, all three of them and stop talking about Mexico all the time and asking Mexico to do these dirty deeds have those countries do the dirty deeds for us um we're, we're talking with uh, todd bensman again cis.org uh, is where you can go and his uh, his website's got a lot writing there but um i want to ask you about a more recent piece that you wrote uh there on the website cis.org about and this is the transition um if we can't get the the president of the united states to stop what's happening at the border it doesn't look like we can Maybe the Speaker of the House in a year, if there is a new year in a few months, if there's a new Speaker. But you point out here, National Guard soldiers are down there on the border. Now, this is something that got some news when Texas Governor Greg Abbott started something down there. Is this a solution or is this really too small to to get control of things? It's something. It's anything. Uh, And really, at this point, anything is better than nothing at all. And I think that Abbott... (laughs) The administration is to be commended for trying to come up with something innovative and different to create the consequence-based deterrence that we need 
to cause immigrants on the other side to not want to come over. Uh, what they're doing is uh, arresting immigrants who cross into private ranch land. Uh, they've got the National Guard now, just now rolling out uh, to the tune of 500 a week who have been trained and are going to be trained in policing, basic civilian policing. These are soldiers uh, coming on board uh, with training in the use of deadly force, the same training that a police officer would get, and in the Fourth Amendment, uh, so that they can participate in handcuffing these migrants as they come through and then handing them over to the Texas State Police for charging under the criminal trespass statute. Now, this is a, um, a program that they're slowly unraveling uh, along stretches of the border. They've got 142 parcels of private land owners who have agreed to serve as complainants. Uh, they are building a fence, a state fence that can be um, uh, enforced for uh, against trespassing, and they're going to be using the National Guard to and the, the, the engineers to very rapidly lengthen that fence. And as they lengthen that fence, they're going to need all of these guard, these soldiers who have arrest authority to fill those gaps as the thing lengthens. And the idea here is to create a deterrence through getting charged with something that could land you in jail for 180 days that you did not expect uh, and, and defense uh, expenses and in jail time and all of the hassle that goes along with getting caught crossing somebody's private ranch land. So it's right. something. It's, a, it's an idea. Yeah. It's, it's an innovation. It hasn't really been tried before, never been tried before. And I applaud any state governor who's going to at least try something uh, unusual mm. and different than just mm. simply releasing uh, them to Border Patrol and letting Border Patrol under the Biden administration let them into the interior by the hundreds of thousands. Right. All right. Todd Benzman, the book is America's Covert Border War, the untold story of the nation's battle to prevent jihadist infiltration. Todd Benzman, who is the senior uh, national security fellow over at the Center for Immigration Studies, CAS.org. Go there and read all his stuff. Uh, thanks very much, Todd. Stay well and careful down there. We'll talk again soon, I'm sure. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report, one of my favorite podcasts. And I, I was uh, gratified, I don't know, a year or so ago, uh, they took up uh, the late Phyllis Schlafly, her life, and Red Pilled America, is what I'm talking about. Go to redpilledamerica.com. Uh, Patrick Caralci and his wife, Adriana Cortez, uh, founded this. They do great work, and I, I, I track them. I listen to them. I don't listen to every segment, I guess, but I listen to a lot of them. But I saw one, and I've now listened to it, called Awoken, about a week ago, and it's What Should America Learn from Chinese? capitalism and uh, i saw that i thought that's one more and more we're facing so let's catch up with patrick patrick how are you welcome back to the program how are things really good thank you so much for having me 
Well, it's great to have you. It's great to see your success and be encouraged. Again, redpilledamerica.com. You can find them everywhere podcasts are posted too. So, uh, I, Patrick, I want to ask you inside this one a question because I noticed that you had some great conversation, uh, I guess, um, uh, previously with Greg Autry, a great writer that we have, we've known for a long time who uh, wrote a book with Peter Navarra, and then also Curtis Ellis, who's since deceased. So is that, do you, do you as a matter of art, uh, you know, do you mine your old stuff like that? Because it was very effective to this this piece. This was on China and you were talking about, you know, the the um, the um, book Feeding the Dragon. And you went back and got that. Is that a common thing in, in podcasting? It worked very well. You know, I, I try not to do that. We try not to do that too much. Um, but in this case, it made a lot of sense because we spoke to Chris Fenton. Uh, he's a you know, Hollywood producer. He's kind of known as the pioneer to opening up the Chinese market to Hollywood films. And he, yeah. uh, he wrote a book called feeding the dragon. And, um, he, we taught, we, we learned about his kind of awakening and you, you hear it through the show. Um, he has this yeah. awakening of it. He's working directly with the Chinese, uh, uh, government uh, on how to basically get these films in there because there's so many censorship kind of uh, hurdles that you have to go through. And so when we heard his story and about, you know, basically how, how China first started opening its market to uh, the United States, we had to we had to go back to this these interviews that we had with uh, Curtis Ellis and Greg Autry. And it just it made sense and kind of told the whole story of really, um, you know, America's uh, philosophy that kind of opened us up to to China and also kind of, you know, offshored all of our manufacturing and and uh, and, and what have you. So it, it made sense to do it in this case. I think it made the, the episode more powerful. Yeah, it, wor- it worked is my point. You're right. I mean, it worked. And again, we're talking about uh, an episode 109, Awoken, it's called. What should America learn from Chinese capitalism? Uh, again, redpilledamerica.com. We're talking with one of the founders, uh, Patrick Carlci, his, his wife, uh, Adriana Cortez, also. Um, so to this segment, when I read about this, can Chris Fenton, who wrote this book and exposed all this, can he actually work in the field anymore? Or does he have to be retired? You know, that's a good question. He's pretty measured about how he talks about this stuff. But the Chinese market is so uh, the Chinese government is so um, uh, strict when it comes to this kind of thing. You know, we we talk about this in the story. But in 2000, excuse me, 1997, there was this moment in Hollywood where Hollywood wasn't even, you know, thinking about China at all in regards to selling its movies out there. And there was this moment in, uh, in 1997 where Hollywood produced these three films that had very sensitive Chinese uh, uh, themes to them. And uh, the Chinese, this was the kind of the shot heard around the, around the world in Hollywood, where China basically said, if you ever make films like these again, you will be cut off from our market forever. And at that time, uh, China had 1.2 billion uh, people. And so Hollywood got this, got the message. And But what happened at right. that time is that several of the filmmakers... Uh, Richard Gere, for example, basically got banned from China forever. That's why you kind of don't see Richard Gere in a lot of big blockbuster movies where there's no shortage of, you know, 60 plus year old people in blockbuster movies. But but you don't see Richard Gere, who was one time an A-lister um, in uh, in Hollywood, yeah. a huge A-lister, the A-lister of, of A-listers. And so he his his career kind of fell off from that. Now he does a lot of independent films. But you kind of see through this through this moment that uh, how the strength of China and how they're able to use their market to not only, you know, kind of uh, 
become rich off American uh, off the American dollar, but also control the messaging uh, out globally, and they're able to tell other countries if you do or say anything within your films that go against what we're trying to do here as a country, you will be banned forever. So to get to get to your question, question Chris, I, I I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he's at that in a, in a kind of like a high profile position to where. You know, like a Richard Gere or or a, or a Brad Pitt or what have you, that, to where they need to have that kind of retaliation. But um, it's definitely something I'm sure he's I'm sure he's thinking about it. It's uh, and again we're talking with uh, Patrick Crouchy, uh, the founder and the host and the producer and the creative guy with his wife Adriana Cortez of Red Pilled America. Go to redpilledamerica.com or search for any of the places of podcasts. Um, does you know for me. I started to see this and I thought, okay, this is what I like about what you do, Patrick, because it's inside Hollywood, as opposed to what we definitely saw was like the NBA, right? When, when, uh, Morley, I forget his first name now. He's the, um, the, the, um, general manager of the Philadelphia. Yes. Rocket. Yes. Is it? He was the Rockets. Now he's over in Philadelphia. But he he said something. They they made him pull it back. LeBron basically said, you know, leave us alone. We don't want to think about it. Shut up and dribble or whatever on that issue, not on everything else. Um, So is Hollywood? I mean, it sounds like it's actually worse there. The Chinese money is so. But like, why isn't um, in your estimation, why isn't like Netflix and all these companies that are making so much money? Why do they have to rely on the Chinese money, too? Well, uh, in the in the year two thousand, about uh, the international box office for the first time uh, outperformed the American box office. And just to give you a little bit of a feel for it, when we wrote this piece a couple weeks ago, the top four movies in the world, um, out of the top four movies, three of them were Chinese uh, movies, um, and they were only sold within the Chinese market. They didn't even have an international audience. That's how powerful that market is. Today, today Hollywood has, I think, 27% of our, of our box office comes from the United States. The rest comes from international markets. So I think that is why they, some of, there's so much kowtowing happening to China. But there is a big change happening right now. I think there is a shift happening. You're seeing it, some of it in the NBA. And uh, China is also refusing to allow some of Hollywood movies into their country. So you're starting to see some hesitance now from Hollywood uh, to kind of kowtow to them. Uh, you, you'll start to see this. This is one of these issues that it should bring the right and the left together. We basically just, uh, a, a, a virus was just unleashed on our country. We have supply right. chain issues. It all came from China. This should be one of these issues that we all come together with and just really push back on that country. And we're starting to see glimpses of that now. Uh, we're talking again with uh, Patrick Caralci, who is uh, one of the founders and creative minds behind uh, Red Pilled America, uh, redpilledamerica.com. Um, but having said that, y- you, what you just said, w- you know, we love the stuff. We love our stuff. We love our movies. We love our, um, you know, and most Americans don't realize, or at least they didn't. This is one of the things I think Trump doesn't get enough credit for. He did change the way people perceive China. But we, we love being able to buy a fourteen ninety nine chair to watch our kids play soccer. We love watching these massive Marvel movies. I mean, Americans do writ large. And most people don't really um, check in on how it's played out. They don't really notice that Red Dawn was going to be redone with Chinese uh, soldiers and they made him into North Koreans or whatever it was. I mean, I, you know, so when you do a, a, a show like this, and again, we're talking about a um, 
podcast called Awoken, What Should America Learn from Chinese Capitalism, episode 109 it was from about a week and a half ago. When you do something like this, do you get the reaction that matches what you feel is the energy of the moment? I think we do. I mean, our whole uh, philosophy of this show is really that's the power of storytelling to kind of move culture. And so we produce this show with that in mind. Hollywood and the left completely understand this. This is why they have, over the course of the last 40 or 50 years, monopolized storytelling because they understand that it shifts cultural opinions towards their causes. So that's why we do why we do our show and why we are, you know, kind of evangelists for others to to kind of create this kind of content, whether it be filmmaking, whether it be fiction novels, whether whether it be podcasts like ours, music, art, what have you. These are the things that shift people's minds towards cultural movements. And so, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, the more we produce things like this. And the more, because stories are the things that kind of stick in people's minds. It's how human beings retain information is through stories. So I think the more that we tell these kinds of stories, the more we're going to start to awaken people uh, to these issues. And I, it's it's so obvious, with especially with a, a place like China, what America needs to do. We need to bring back, you know, our our manufacturing. We need to to look at these people. We need to basically look at. Capitalism, patriotism needs to come before capitalism. And I think, you know, we're seeing glimpses of that now. At the end of the day, we might have, you might be able to buy a $14.99 chair, but the, the, right. the, the flip side is that now is that we have all of these supply chain issues. We're gonna, we had to basically influx the government, excuse me, the economy with tons of money. So now we're having inflation. So that $14.99 chair is not $14.99. It's, we're, we're starting to see kind of, you know, right. what these policies have done to the United States over the course of the last 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, the trick is, I mean, I agree with you, and that's why I think it's powerful, is to tell in the story so people understand it, so they can uh, they can adjust how they think about it. They th- Instead of thinking, oh, that's cheap, they say, yeah, that's not right. So it's a heck of a, as you point out, a heck of a challenge. All right, I've got to run. Also, I'll put up on social media, Patrick Karalchi is up on his Twitter feed, which is at Karalchi, uh, also red-pilled, at red-pilled underscore USA, and uh, uh, Adriana's too. I'll put it all up on social media. Thank you, Patrick, for the time. As always, this segment is, the podcast is Awoken. I recommend it. What should America learn from China? Chinese capitalism, Red Pilled America. Go to redpilledamerica.com and see more. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you so much, Ed. I really appreciate it. All right. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now, continuing that legacy, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. President Joe Biden's televised threat to compel most Americans to receive the controversial COVID vaccine raised tyranny to a level rarely before seen in our great country. Going a step further, public health guru Dr. Anthony Fauci quickly followed Biden's threat with a call for Americans to be vaccinated before being allowed to board an airplane. Such mandates are an unprecedented abuse of executive power, and the intensity of the pushback quickly matched the scale of the transgression. Even in pro-Biden Nevada, a grassroots uprising is occurring against iron-fisted government-driven mandates, as North Las Vegas Mayor John Lee put it after switching from the Democrat to Republican Party earlier this year. The pro-mandate bureaucrats have always known that many tens of millions of Americans would decline the vaccine, as is their choice. 
Polling shows that opposition by many Americans to taking the COVID vaccine has not changed much throughout Biden's presidency, despite his aggressive promotional campaigns. The resistance consists of not only Trump supporters, but also many on the political left. The diverse resistors to the COVID vaccine include highly educated people, such as PhDs. These and other opponents of the vaccine are not doing so based on Trump. Many universities have required their students to be vaccinated, even though the professors themselves are often not subject to the same requirement. Other voting constituents of Democrats, such as members of minority groups, are adamantly against the COVID vaccine. On the other hand, many Trump supporters in traditional conservative voting blocks have made the choice to be vaccinated. However, regardless of your personal vaccination status, every American should recognize the threat posed by top-down vaccine mandates by the federal government. What about federalism? Don't states have any say in this? What about individual liberty? Shouldn't every citizen have the right to make the choice for himself, herself, and their family? Simply put, vaccine mandates are incompatible with the principles our nation was built upon. If you want to get the vaccine, you should. But don't try to force your opinions on others. President Biden's threat to force the vaccine on Americans is the work of a tyrant, not a president. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For 50 years, Mrs. Schlafly promoted grassroots efforts to rally conservatives. Today, you can harness the power of social media by going to phyllisschlafly.com and sharing these commentaries with friends across the country. Get started at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, by the way, those are great interviews today. You want to go over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and tune in there. Check in there, and you can get these uh, segments as standalone segments anytime you'd like. All right, here's a little funny update I want to give you. I might have told you, if you're listening closely to my listeners, that um, I have been, my daughter is a senior in high school, and so we've been on the college tour uh, and she's applying to college. Well, one of the colleges we visited, a good buddy of mine is a professor of political science. His name is Ken Rutherford. He's been on the show. He's an expert in landmines, and he's a political science professor down at James Madison University in Harrisonville, Virginia, about an hour and a half, almost two hours from where I live in Northern Virginia. And uh, Ken's a great guy. He's got a new book out on uh, the Civil War and landmines. Uh, he's got an amazing life story. He drove over a couple of landmines, lost a bunch of his legs, and uh, turned it into like uh, almost only he could uh, a blessing. He made it into his life's work, and he's just an amazing guy. Anyway, we go down to James Madison and all over campus. We've been twice. Once we went to a football game a few weeks ago, but we went down over the summer. All over the campus are these um, robots on wheels, and they're marching around. They're not marching. They're rolling around delivering food. So in the middle of James Madison's campus, they've got like three or four dining halls, and they've got Subway sandwiches, and I think Chick-fil-A and Domino's pizza, and they've got these maybe three foot high, two to three foot high robots on wheels, and the people come out of the uh, the the, the um, uh, food area and they put the food into one of these robots and then it t delivers it to your dorm or to your house if you're close enough to campus i think and they're all over the place and it's incredible and so i thought well that is the craziest thing and i i, I marveled at it and if you got in front of this thing that's rolling it stops it's got cameras on it um it uh it's got using gps obviously when it gets to your dorm you have to punch in a, a code on your phone 
the app, and it will then unlock so you can get it. And it's amazing. And it's uh, by most accounts, it's working pretty well. It's called Starship. I think that's what they refer to the little units. And I just I saw a piece over on, in the AP Associated Press about how there's actually 20 campuses that are trying this out. Now, I think it works better on a college campus because, A, there's lots of food like that, right? But it might work in a city. I, it might work in, in, in a compact city. But it's, it's, anyway, it's made me think, how many things are going to be operated by robots? I mean, we're almost there with... Uh, you know, driverless cars. So, and this in the article refers to the fact that some of the food service, the food delivery services are trying out a larger um, unit that could deliver like almost like Uber Eats. These, these really work on a campus and maybe in an urban area that's sort of self-contained this starship technology. But how many things are going to be done in the next 20 to 50 years by robots and artificial intelligence? I mean, a gazillion, right? It's almost hard to imagine how many things are going to be. Anyway, I saw that story. It's something we got to take up. Uh, I'm going to do some uh, digging into this to talk more about the impact of some of these uh, technologies. Because it, it, by the way, takes away a bunch of jobs. Makes a lot of things easier, but takes away a bunch of jobs. So uh, we'll see. All right, we got to run. Thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley, our producer, and Joanna Spilger, who helps us book all these guests. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. And when you get a chance, go over to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up for the daily email. Uh, And I'll send it to you every morning, 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time. All right, everybody, have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer, San Diego.